Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Today's reading is from the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29 through 42, and Galatians 3, chapter 3, verse 27. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas which is translated to Peter. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection. We continue centering ourselves with a prayer that's connected to our breath And so on the inhale, we pray silently, gracious God, and on the exhale, we pray, lead us by your spirit. So let's pray that together.
Gracious God, lead us by your spirit. We come to this moment from a variety of backgrounds, perspectives, and experiences. We come to this moment excited, hopeful, optimistic, scared, tired, anxious, mad, or just bored. We come to this moment with needs and with resources, with affluence. Some of us have lulled ourselves into thinking maybe we don't need you after all because things are going pretty well for us at the moment. However we find ourselves right now, help us to see that you know us and you see us in all our complexity, in all our contradictions, and you love us. Your response to us is to give yourself in grace in the person and work of your son Jesus Christ. And so now I pray that you would break through by the power of your Holy Spirit and teach us in a way that our lives would be transformed, that we would be woken up to your grace and sent out to be your very hands and feet of renewal wherever we go. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. Amen. Well, back in 2010, uh, my dad had passed away, and I uh, had this home that I inherited in Atlanta, Georgia. So we were living in San Francisco at the time, and I flew out to Atlanta and packed up a U-Haul and drove it back from Atlanta to California with Florence's brother, Richie. And as we plotted our course, we came through Montgomery, Alabama, and I wanted to see two things. I wanted to find some good barbecue. And I wanted to see the church where Martin Luther King had pastored. So we located the barbecue, which just I'm going to tell you, and anybody from Montgomery, I'm sorry if you're watching, San Diego has better barbecue than Alabama within five blocks of here over at Grand Ole. But that's a whole other story. Um, located where this church was. And I was hoping just to drive by, so we did. And again, we have this U-Haul and we're driving through the town, the city. I just wanted a photo, but the door was open. So I walked in. And I walked in and, I, and I'm kind of making my way through and I actually went up to the pulpit where Dr. King preached from. This was the only church that he actually was the home pastor at because after his pastorate at this church, the whole movement took off and then he became the movement organizer on the national and international stage. And I remember praying, Lord, whatever you gave Dr. King, just give me a little bit. And as I was praying that, the current pastor of the church came out, probably wanting to know who's this guy standing at the pulpit of his church. And I told him my story, and uh, he said, well, why don't you come, in, come to my office? And when he invited me to his office, he's invited me to the pastor's office, which was Dr. King's office. And we're sitting down at the desk where Dr. King was sitting when he was planning the bus boycott for Montgomery. And I get the chills just thinking about it, being in the space where there was somebody who was inspired by God. I mean, it's, yeah, I was reading his sermons this morning. Everything he says that he was able to do was because of the power of God in his life. But the point of the story and why I'm telling it to you is, I didn't expect to be brought into the story like that. I thought I was just going to drive by a church. I thought I was just going to walk in an open door. I thought I was just going to stand in a sanctuary. But I ended up sitting in the place where it happened. 
And I think that's similar to what's taking place in the story that we just heard. That early in Jesus' earthly ministry, he's walking through the temple grounds, and John the Baptist, who was this forerunner to Christ, he's already has, John the Baptist already has the floor. He already has everybody's attention. They're coming to him. But as soon as he's there and he's drawing this crowd and Jesus walks by and John says, it's not me, it's him. Look, behold, the Lamb of God. We'll get into that. And I wonder what it would have been like to be there that day thinking that you're going to hear a lecture or see something interesting or be able to tell your friends that you were there when you go to happy hour later in the week. But actually now you are coming face to face with the power behind the entire universe. And you get drawn in. And it asks really important questions to you and me. What are you paying attention to? What are you focusing on in your life right now? What has your gaze? What has your attention? Are you intentionally going through life with focus? Or is life something that just happens to you? One scene at a time. These are the questions that Jesus is asking. And we'll get into them today as he says, what are you looking for? That's the first question Jesus asked in the Gospel of John. What are you looking for? So let's take a look. Let's consider the relevance of this. Why does it even matter in the first place? Let's take a look at the essence of it or the substance, baptism. And let's look at how you access all of it. First, the relevance. Why does this even matter? In other words, what are you talking about when you're talking about Jesus? Who are you talking about when you're talking about Jesus? It'd be an interesting experiment. I don't exactly recommend you doing this, but if you go to brunch after this at any of these fine establishments, if you were to ask 10 people who is Jesus, you would get 10 different answers. But you would probably find some themes. Um, A worthy example that we should follow. A wise, sage teacher. A good philosopher. A leader of a religious movement. But you know what? The world has plenty of those. Dr. Houston Smith, one of the most influential anthropologists of the last century, who had studied world religions for, I think, 70 years, and by the time I heard him lecture, uh, it sounded like it took him 70 years to explain it because he had had so many things experienced and cataloged. But after, I mean, this is the world's renowned anthropologist, and he said, Jesus Christ is unique as the only person on two lists. One is the list of people who claim to be God. And the other is the list of people who actually change the world and have a following today. He says, on the first list, you have plenty of people throughout history who claim to be God. That's a pretty long list. But eventually the movement flamed out because obviously they weren't. And you have plenty of people who have changed the world, but they never claimed to be God. Abraham Lincoln didn't claim to be God. George Washington, Martin Luther King didn't claim to be God. But Jesus is the only one on two lists who both claimed to be God and changed the world. He's unique among all other names. So the question is, who are you dealing with when you're talking about Jesus? John the Baptist gives us a, a big hint in verse 39 when he says, and I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Not just one of many wise teachers, not just one of many other great options, uniquely the Son of God. In verse 41, we hear Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, say, we have found the Messiah. 
The Messiah is a Hebrew word, means the same thing as the Greek word Christos or Christ. Christ was not Jesus' last name, it was a title. And in either way, the word means anointed. It's a way of talking about a king. Messiah equals Christ equals anointed. But Messiah or Christ would have been a pregnant word for the Jewish people. Because they're sitting in darkness waiting for the light to come. They're living in a reality of political oppression where the Roman Empire is crushing them. They're living in a reality where it seems like God has been silent for 400 years. But they're remembering these echoes of a promise from the prophets that one day God will send God's Messiah. That God will no longer just send a love letter through the prophets or the Psalms, but God will come down himself and rescue and so when, the, when John the gospel writer talks about Jesus as the Messiah, he's saying all of the hopes for the light in the midst of your darkness, especially the places that seem the most hopeless right now, all of the hope for all of that is found in him. See, the thing is, all of us find hope in something. The question is, is the object of your hope noble enough, strong enough, sturdy enough to carry you through this life? And then we see the title in verse 29, in the very beginning. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, here is the Lamb of God. That title, the Lamb of God, harkens all the way back to the story of Passover. When the Israelites were slaves in Egypt to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and God says, I will rescue you out of slavery into freedom, and the way you know will come through the Passover lamb. The lamb became significant in the temple as every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take an unblemished lamb and place his hands on the lamb's head and pronounce the sins of all the people on the lamb, and the lamb would be driven out into the wilderness as a symbolic way of saying, may our sin, our brokenness, the evil that we've done to ourselves and done to each other, may it depart from us. And Jesus says, all of that pointed to who Jesus is. Freedom. Not just from slavery to Pharaoh, but to even more sinister enemies of sin and death itself. The Lamb of God. Friends, as you consider following Jesus, as you consider going deeper in your relationship with Christ, is your view of who Jesus is that big? Because if it's not, you're missing out, and you're not doing business with the real Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. But what's the substance of it? The substance of it is found in baptism. This whole thing is taking place as John testifies in verse 32. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. This is talking about Jesus' baptism, and eventually this would become the sacrament by which all Christians around the world of every language and ethnicity and culture would identify with Christ. So let's just consider for a second, what's the significance of baptism? On one hand, it uses water. In my home, 
I can't even, this is ridiculous, I can't even count how many faucets I have in my home. I have running water in my home. You probably do too. But in a place where there's no running water, and irrigation is difficult, can you imagine the significance of water? As every time they see a drop of water, they remember water cleanses, refreshes, purifies, sustains. It's life. Life grows where water flows. But water also harkens back to that Exodus story. As God was rescuing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, where did they go? They were rescued through the Red Sea. Moving from slavery to freedom, from fear to joy, passing through the water. In fact, the Greek word baptizo simply means to dip, to immerse. It was more of a garmentry industry term, as I understand it, because you would baptize your clothes in the water. You would, if you had a white shirt and you wanted a blue shirt, you'd baptize it in blue dye. And when the shirt came out, it was no longer a white shirt, it was now a blue shirt. And Christians adopted this to talk about the transformation and change that happens in baptism. This is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in that last part of Galatians that Rita read for us. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so a Christian can say, I have died to myself and I have risen with him. And it's interesting, note, that in the context of baptism, when Jesus calls you, I think Simon Peter is a great case study of this. He begins as Simon, he ends up as Peter. Jesus changes people's names. In fact, it's interesting because the word Peter, the Greek word Petros, from which we get the word petrified, stone, strong, sturdy, immovable, stable, you can count on it, dependable. But the interesting thing is, that's not who Peter is at this point. And Peter's the one who later Jesus will have to say, get behind me, Satan, because you don't have the things of God in your mind. You have the things of the devil in your mind. That's not strong as a rock. Peter is the one who will waver on the night that Jesus is betrayed and, and betrayed even knowing him three times. So what's the point? Jesus gives Peter a new name, the rock, not because of who Peter is or how he's acting in the moment, but because who Jesus will make him to become. And Peter becomes one of the cornerstones of the church. Jesus' calling in your life is not just descriptive, this is who you are. It's prescriptive. This is who I've created you to become. Follow me. Which brings us to the process. How do you access all of this? And I'll give you, the headline is, it's dynamic. A relationship with Jesus is not merely facts and figures to be memorized or a workbook to fill out the blanks. It's fine to have more knowledge. Please do, as they say, disciple and sharpen your mind. But it is dynamic and it involves action and energy. So at first, these new friends of Jesus are curious and they're inquiring. They're open and they're looking. Which brings us back to the question, What's captured your attention? If God was to break through into your life right now, how would you even know? Are you too busy to see it or to respond? 
One of my favorite prayers is, God, please give us the grace to see you when you come and the courage to follow you wherever you lead. And as they're open, as they're inquiring, as they're curious, it's then that Jesus comes and says, what are you looking for? What do you want? I've shared this with you before. Excuse me. I had a um, psychology professor in one of my pastoral counseling classes, and uh, I'd call him. And his voicemail said, this this is a psychologist speaking, right? His voicemail would say, at the tone, please answer the two questions. Who are you and what do you want? And he said, unless you think I'm being rude, let me remind you most people go their entire life without answering those two questions. Who are you and what do you want? When Jesus asks, what do you want? And they say, tell us where you live. He doesn't just give them an address or a Google Maps pin. He doesn't just give them information. He says, come and see. Come and see for yourself. I'm not just going to describe my house to you or give you the address. I want you to come in and smell the food while it's cooking and know what it's like to eat with me and live with me and be with me because this is relational. What would it look like for you to come and see this year? This is why Renew Church exists, so that you have plenty of opportunities to come and see and great company along the way. This is why we have community groups and prayer gathering at noon on Wednesdays and all of the organized aspects of the church. And it happens in a thousand organic ways. But what does it look like for you to come and see right now at your stage, at your station in life? And then the last response that we see, this seems to be kind of a reflexive response almost anytime someone meets Jesus, they never walk away unchanged. Like they either crown him as king or try to kill him as a fraud, but nobody just meets Jesus and walks away like, I just met another person today. And one of the first things that Andrew does is goes and finds his friend Simon, or his brother Simon, who will become Peter. Bring a friend. You will always commend whatever is most lovely in your life to others. You know this. I mean, you hear a good song on Spotify, for the first time, you're sending the link to your friend. You try a new great restaurant, you're sending the link to your friend or invite. We naturally are evangelists, bearers of good news for things that captivate us. Christian friends, let me just ask you for a second. What does it look like for you to commend Jesus to your friends, to your colleagues, to your family, in a way that is comprehensible, attractive, winsome, thoughtful. As one theologian said, you know, Christianity is really just one beggar showing another beggar where to find really good bread. But all of our story, all of our lives tell a story. The question is, what's the story your life tells? And so, friends, as we kick off this year, as we remember Dr. King this week, this month, this year, May we come and see together. May we remember who we're dealing with when we talk about Jesus. And he's the one who invites us more and more into his life and into his love. And then may we go out and radiate that renewal wherever we go. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now that you would surprise us by your grace as you surprised those first friends of yours on that day.
wake us up. I pray that you give us the grace to see you as you move toward us and the courage to follow you wherever you would lead. We pray these things in your name. Amen.